Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome my friend Kevin Hart. Kevin is the CEO of Ariel, which is an augmented reality platform that enables builders to see and experience their designs before they go into the building process. He also has a ton of great insights on the metaverse. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Let's talk to Kevin. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Kevin Hart, my good friend, thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. So for the audience to know how we first got together, I'm an advisor and judge with Stadia Ventures, Mm -hmm. which is a, uh, it's a accelerator in sports, esports, and technology. And I remember, how, how many years ago? Was it three, four years that you no, were pitching there? I think there? it was like the first pitch. We're looking at like two or three, I think. Okay. I, I want to say closer to three. Yeah. But one thing that I remember, you were one of the many entrepreneurs who took the stage that day. And when you stepped out of the room, what happens at Stadia is all the judges are discussing you know, what do you really think about this? Right. Right. I'm getting a little insight I haven't heard before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about this. So make sure you want some paper to take notes? No, no. It's okay. okay. It's all up here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so basically for people listening, an entrepreneur comes up, how long is the pitch? Three minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Three minute pitch. And you're basically saying, this is my idea and this is my business plan. And then people around the room ask questions. Yeah, that's right. It might be five minute pitch, and then it's like three minutes for Q and A or something like that, and then a two yeah. minute for you guys to discuss. On to the next one. Yeah, so it's basically like Shark Tank, but it's like a hundred sharks, right? Rather than five. Exactly. And then you leave the room, and this is the experiences that I've had: is then people who have intimate knowledge of those technologies or that market are like. This is why this will never work. <laughs> right. <laughs> or have they thought about pivoting to this? Or this is a great idea because of this. Mm-hmm. And what I remember hearing everybody said in that room when you stepped out is they said, honestly, I wouldn't care what this guy was selling. I'm investing in the entrepreneur even more than the business. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Well, and it says a lot about you. And so I always thought that that's that's always really interesting to me. It's like the business versus the entrepreneur mm-hmm. or the combined of both. So your business, Ariel, mm-hmm. is incredible. And I want you to describe it for the audience because you're going to say it a lot better than I do. <laughs> of course. Well, thank you again for having me. And I'm excited to share more about Ariel and get into some of the discussion that we're going to have today. But what Ariel is, for those of you who don't know what augmented reality is, you kind of have to have that foundation first. So augmented reality, by definition, is superimposing digital content over the real world environment. So in the past, you use like a phone and a QR code, you get a little 3D model on top of it. Well, what we've done at Ariel is we patented and created the ability to place augmented reality content based off of longitude, latitude, and altitude coordinates. Okay. And we can do so with nearly millimeter level precision globally. So that means that we could place augmented reality content anywhere in the world instantly for people to walk up around and interact with as though it's part of their real world environment. Insane. So I, the, the thing I can relate to most with this is Pokemon Go. I think mm. that's where a lot of people kind of started to have AR like mm. pop into their worlds, right? Because right. it was such a, a viral thing. And you had stores either saying, we have Pokemon here or we don't have Pokemon here. Don't mm-hmm. bother us. <laughs> right. You had people wandering through the streets, like searching for one. How would you compare that, which is just kind of a more B2C mm-hmm. uh, fun game to what you're doing? 
Sure. So a couple of things. One with Pokemon Go, it was a good, I guess, like icebreaker for what the future of augmented reality could be for a lot of people. But in the sense, it's not augmented reality in the geospatial sense. And what mm. I mean by that is with Pokemon Go, you open up a map, you see where Pikachu is, you open up Pikachu, and you see what it looks like on the ground. But the interesting thing is, is with our type of augmented reality, you could walk up and around that asset as if it's there. With right. Pokemon Go, it was assigned to like one of the cardinal directions pretty much. So okay. like northeast of you is where you see Pikachu on the ground. You could have literally gotten in a car, drove 20 miles away, and Pikachu would have still been moving with you at that exact orientation. Got so that, okay. that's one of the key differences. So with that being a B2C, it's great, like I said, for exposure on augmented reality. Where we sit is like a B to B to C. Okay, mm -hmm. so we want to make our clients look like the superheroes to their customers. So really where we're specializing in sitting right now is in what's called AEC, which is architecture, engineering, and construction, mm -hmm. and how it helps people visualize a future environment before they break ground on it. Right. And so saves, saves them a lot of money. A huge amount. Because yeah. unlike normal renderings, people actually get to walk it, experience it at scale, make all of their changes real time. And the biggest thing that I say to people is that, you know, for all of time, you would design something like a structure, mm -hmm. you would build it, and then people experience it. And yeah. for the first time with Arial, you can design it, experience it, and then build it. So all of your changes are made ahead of time, and you as a customer and the builder have the same expectation of that final product. That's incredible. And I mean, I've seen videos of you doing this where you're walking through an empty field with an iPad, right. and you can really feel, whether it's a home, an office, or a stadium, oh, how far is this apart from each other? How is this path so that uh, consumers could move or that my family or my coworkers can walk around, right? Exactly. No, you're hitting the nail on the head. And like one of the things a lot of people don't realize is there's other technologies out there like Matterport. A lot of people are familiar with that for like buying homes remotely, especially during the time of COVID. Yeah. But you're like clicking through to a series of 360 degree images. You're not actually understanding the true scale or walking through it as yeah. if it's there. What your brain is actually doing on a subconscious level is when you're physically walking through a space, it's kind of counting the steps you're taking and is helping you understand scale and depth in addition to what your eyes could see. Okay. So by having an experience where you could physically walk through it and move around something as though it's there, you have a better understanding of what that property can be. And it also increases engagement time and an emotional connection to that future environment. So how the heck did you come up with this idea? Like what... What was it that, that sparked this or what was your experience that brought you to that point? Sure. So it's evolved a lot over time. Okay. So sure. the um, one misconception is that we're a startup, but we're not really. We've been around for, in January, it'll be nine years since we were founded. And so we were just kind of ahead of the curve with what augmented real reality really is now because mm -hmm. we started it so soon. But my background growing up, I've always had been an entrepreneur starting in fifth grade, always been very interested in technology. When I went to school, I went to University of Texas at Dallas. And while I was there, I studied more on the user experience side of things, like how to form positive habits in people through the use of technology. Well, doing that, one of the spaces that was kind of emerging was augmented reality. And mm -hmm. like I said before, it was that QR code that you could hold your phone up to and recognize the coordinate, or not coordinates, I'm sorry, recognize the QR code and see a little 3D model tied to the top of it. Right. Well, me wearing my user experience hat, I was like, how can we remove the limitations that a QR code has on what your experience could be? 
Yeah. And so that's where the idea popped in, like, how can I place it anywhere in the world? How can I increase the overall size of it? And so it was natural to come down to this coordinate system, whether it's our hmm. Cartesian coordinate, polygon. There's a ton of coordinate systems that could work in the world, and we wanted to make sure that we can make it work for us. Yeah. And so that's where the idea kind of started. But really, the one story that a lot of people don't know is I was driving down to Austin with some friends for my birthday one year, and I saw those billboards that say, does advertising work? Just did. And I hate those things with <laughs> passion. I mean, with a passion, because you, just because I can read doesn't yeah. mean that I'm converting. It doesn't mean that you Good understand point. who I am. You don't understand any metrics, nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, how is it that I can combine this other idea I have about removing the limitations of what augmented reality can de- be by promoting a positive, engaging experience with what a brand is instead of just looking at a billboard. Make it interactive, wanting people to identify with what that brand is. So when mm. we very first started the company, we were called Airvertise. And so when we did that, it was meant to be like augmented reality, advertising and marketing for the real world through engaging experiences. Wow, yeah. And so this was kind of like the origin and like really all of our IP is tied to it because it goes into like what the metaverse is now coming around to be nine years later, believe right. it or not. And so it started off as that. And when we were heads down first four years creating the technology from scratch, then when we first brought it to market, we brought it to market in sports and entertainment. So mm-hmm. hence the stadia play here. Right. Well, uh, I mean, we did never did a work for free. Our very first client was Discovery Channel. We did Shark Week for them. And then ever since then, it evolved into like the Dallas Mavericks, college football playoff, Arsenal in the UK, Nike, PGA, and many others in the space. Wow. But then what we realize is this analogy I have of a vitamin versus a painkiller. And okay. so in sports and entertainment, augmented reality at the time was a vitamin. It was a nice to have. It accentuated an existing experience, but it never mm. really solved a major significant problem. And so we knew we had this incredibly powerful technology that could really change the way that people interact and perceive with the world around them. Yeah. And so we're like, where can we solve that biggest problem? And that's where it kind of led us to the area we're in now, where it is a painkiller by having it essentially as like the visual articulation tool that we've talked about so far. That's interesting. You know, something I'm always fascinated by is how businesses change mm-hmm. and they evolve over time. Uh, I started my company a little over a year ago and I was kind of like, hey, I got these three pillars. I got an idea of what I want to do, but really I'm going to figure out what I will do ultimately as I do it. Right. Because I'm either going to say, oh, there's an opportunity here either that I was aware of and I can really need, lean into, or there's one here I wasn't aware of, or I really hate doing this thing that right. I thought I might like doing. And there's some folks who are going to just really stick with like, this is the business, just very kind of narrow focus and just go, go, go. And there's pros and cons of all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just, you're focused and you're going, like you're not giving up. Yeah. On the flip side, it's it can be very wise when you recognize when to shift, how to shift properly. But I'm sure that there's a lot of balance between you know, what is a shiny object? Mm-hmm. What is a real opportunity? When should you abandon or adjust from your original mission? Right. What was that process like that? Well, like, kind of like what you're even talking about with your three pillars. It, it's about narrowing down that focus, right? Yeah. And having that better understanding of what you want to target. Like, I'm sure your business is constantly evolving because you're in a market that is constantly evolving. Something new is popping up literally every day and the same thing kind of applies for us. So you gotta be light on your feet and kind of agile to kind of see where the trends are going to make sure that you have like that base that works 
with everything in that mm-hmm. sense. So for us, kind of going down that route, we knew that we had something that could apply literally for every industry. If you go back mm-hmm. and actually watch my very first public presentation, which was at, I think, Dallas New Tech okay. back in 2013, and what everything I wanted to do, I was trying to boil the ocean. I was saying, oh, mm. this works for sports, entertainment, education, real estate, like everything. And it's like, if you're trying to do everything, you know, that's like, you're never yeah. going to be good at one thing. Well, I've heard it said, if you're talking to everybody, you're targeting nobody. Exactly. I once spoke at a conference and I remember the person before me was speaking and they did a Q&A after. And I can't remember exactly what the service was, but the person in the audience was asking about targeting. And they said, the problem is my service applies to just about everybody. So why would I target one? It was like, no, 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 no. Like you're never going to specifically engage somebody because if you're just like super broad. So mm-hmm. how do you go about then to saying, okay, I'm, I have a very broad service, which could sometimes be seen as a benefit because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe your client base can be larger. Sure. But how do you identify the priority of who you're then targeting? That's kind of a loaded question, so I hope you're ready for this. <laughs> no, <laughs> but what it, what it really comes down to is like augmented reality kind of has that stigma to it of what you started off with, which is Pokemon Go. Right. So a lot of people think, oh, it's this cool thing. I can see something. I'll interact with it one time and they don't come back to it. But it really comes down to like augmented reality is an incredibly powerful tool if you're applying it to the right area. Mm. And I mean, you could say that about some of the greatest things out there, whether it's artificial intelligence, manufacturing, anything. Yeah, You got to know where you're going to apply it to prove the use case to be valid. Mm -hmm. So it's our goal to make it a point to show how augmented reality can actually benefit society as opposed to be one of these distractors. And so that was kind of one of the areas where we narrowed in on. And then you'll notice I'm a big fan of analogies, and I like to say I want to be an inch wide and a mile deep and not a mile wide and an inch deep. Sure. So when we narrowed our focus on the industries we wanted to focus on, we needed to learn everything about that industry then and then see the way that our technology could apply. Because we have to educate on the use cases, not educate on the power of the technology. And so that's where we had that focus. And so I have another strategy where we say we want to shoot bullets and then cannonballs. Everything we're doing in this space, we're shooting a lot of tests and seeing what works and what doesn't. As soon as we find something that works, we shoot a mm. cannonball at it and we fire deep in those ranges. Once we perfect those process, not only on an industry level, but also a market level, then we start expanding to different markets and then eventually we'll start expanding to adjacent industries that we can have the greatest impact. So. It's really kind of we're starting out here, but then we still want to expand to the other verticals where we can create an impact, especially with some of the tools we have coming out. Interesting. So I'm hearing, so shoot bullets a mile wide and cannonballs. uh, Uh, (laughs) Uh Something like that. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. So what you start with, are you starting with what you're most familiar with? Or are you starting with you're evaluating, hey, this is the best profit potential or this has the best long-term mm-hmm. business potential? How are you starting with those initial things? You would think it would be like, hey, what are we good at, right? Yeah. And so I thought, hey, that's kind of where we started off with the sports. I grew up loving sports and I played sports and I was like, this will be easy. You know, I'm a fan of sports. I know how this will apply, but it's like, that's not always really the right case. You know, it's kind of how people say, oh, do follow your passion. It's like, that's not (laughs) always the right thing to do. You got to kind of figure it out. But um, when it comes down to this, it was like, I have no background in architecture. I have no background in real estate, nothing. Mm. So it's like, before I founded the company coming out of school, I worked in consulting. And one of the things you have to do in consulting is you kind of have to have 
one, be very empathetic, and two, put on the hat of the client and understand everything about their business. Right. And so that's the approach we had to take when we got into this vertical is like learn as much as we can about it, learn their pain points. And then coming from a UX background too, the one thing I tell everybody is feedback is everything for us. So we want to mm. hear your feedback. We want to learn what your pain points are, your process. And then we essentially go back and reverse engineer our technology to solve that problem for them. And that's what directs our roadmap. So it's a lot of learning that we have to do. And because we knew right. that that would help us from a business standpoint, because it would validate our business model, it would help us scale, and it would also help us with our margins, most certainly, because there's some level of repeatable process there. But I mean, I would ask you the same thing. Like, how is it that you do it being like an esports? you know? Like things yeah. are changing every day there. And like, even the stuff you have to educate yourself on isn't even definitive yet. So sure. how does that work for you? Great. <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with just, for me, keeping my finger on the pulse of things. I have a lot of connections with kind of a, a broad, uh, diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. Diverse in many senses, but, um, you know, experiences and also where they are in their careers. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking to a lot of people like Bob Garrity, right, is, yeah. a, is a mentor to both of us. And so he's not from esports but he has so much knowledge outside of oh, esports yeah. that I can then either tap into or, or learn from there and then apply to my own current expertise. Mm -hmm. I'm always reading. So um, I think, too, having laid a foundation of knowledge, if I just see, if I, you know, breeze over an article, I'm like, okay, I get it. Right. Versus somebody who doesn't have the experience I've had and they would have to take more time and need more context. But I've fortunately already built that up. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I have pretty strong connections with a number of college students. Mm. And so even though um, I'm 38 years young, you know, I, I still skateboard and I do these things that are probably, eh, maybe not every 38-year-old is doing that. Right. But I want to be so careful that I don't lose my cool, mm -hmm. you know, that I maintain what are the kids talking about. Yeah. And if I'm saying <laughs> what are the kids talking about, that's a sign that I'm not in touch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of it, I guess I would say, now that I'm saying it out loud, is through uh, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. And so for somebody like Bob, you know, I add something to his expertise. I kind of help him keep him cool. Right. Somebody reaches out to him for esports, he's able to answer them through me, right. sort of a thing. And on the flip side, I guess I'm kind of in the middle of this whole dynamic is that I've got these younger people who really understand culture, really understand gaming, like what's the hot thing, what are your friends doing? Mm -hmm. And then I can help them with things that are based on my experience, whether right. it's more involved with business or some leadership or things like that. And through just a lot of communication that really keeps me on top of things. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, my skateboarding background kind of uniquely helps me understand the consumer, the esports consumer, mm -hmm. who is extremely skeptical Right. So if you think gamers are skeptical, try to reach skateboarders. And so it's it's kind of a nice thing that's happened that my passion, you're talking about, you know, do you follow your passion or not? There's a reason I don't work in the skateboarding industry. Right. Because <laughs> I'm trying to make money to pay my bills. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to make money in skateboarding. But I've been able to apply that knowledge of a skeptical consumer group to gamers mm -hmm. and say, oh, you give them what they want but cannot attain for themselves and your brand is embraced right and that takes many forms it has to make sense with the the brand story as far as it's going to be different for coke than it is for vitamin water or for nike mm -hmm. sort of a thing but you also have to know what does the community actually want 
you can't assume what they want. Right. And then also you need the right partners to execute. So I'm fortunate to have a lot of relationships with teams, leagues, influencers, things like that. Interesting. So, No, I think that's uh, what's fascinating about you is you have such a an interesting subset of targets that you have to do and how you have to blend these two worlds together and like make yeah. sure that everybody understands like, hey, we're doing this together. This has it's mutually beneficial, and it's not just like one person having to put everything up. And and yeah. em- like empathy is a big part of that. That's one of the things I always try to hang our hat on. Is like put yourself in the other people's shoes and understand oh, like what are their needs, and that'll help you solve the majority of what your problems are. Well, I always you know I you know chased this pro skateboarding dream, and I went to school late, and so I graduated late, and so I I was always a little concerned my experience in the hard skills mm-hmm. of actually, you know, doing a, a marketing job or whatever, I'm not the guy that's like super in the weeds with the hard skills. Right. But I've have these soft skills. I'm a good communicator, I'm empathetic, I'm able to really read people. I love communicating, you know, bringing a network together. Mm-hmm. And I was meeting with a mentor of mine actually right before I launched the podcast and he helped me with a lot of the the theme of this whole thing. But I was like man, I feel a lack of confidence that I don't have like these real strong hard skills and mm-hmm. all these things that I want to do, but I have these soft skills. And this guy's very much a soft skills guy. Mm-hmm. And he was like, John, isn't that what brings everything together? Right. If all you have are hard skills, it doesn't work because you need the soft skills to lead, to guide, to bring people together. Mm-hmm. And what I have found throughout my career in a number of different industries is there's a lot of value in being a translator. To be able to communicate between two groups of people who can't talk to each other. Right. And, you know, one of my roles, I'm the chairman of the Esports Trade Association. That's what we do there. Mm-hmm. We help the endemic esports community talk with the business community. Right. So that they can improve their business practices and do more better together. I've worked in the design industry where I was working with a bunch of designers, but I was client facing with clients who knew nothing about Photoshop or <laughs> Illustrator or Cinema 4D. Right. And it actually worked out well because I could see everything from their perspective where a designer might be a little too in the weeds to understand how to communicate everything in a very like 101 way. Right. And then also part of it I think just has to do with my age. You know, mm-hmm. I am 38 so I'm kind of between the young people and I'm between the old people mm-hmm. and I can talk both languages. Right. And I'd be curious uh, if you've had one of these experiences, but this just popped in my head is there's a, a, a very specific experience that helped me become far more empathetic. Mm-hmm. And it was a debate class in community college. Mm-hmm. Shout out uh, Reedley College. I think they're the Tigers. It's <laughs> 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 a long time ago. Um, it's my hometown, Reedley, California. So I had this debate class and I love debate because I just love crushing people (laughs) but I I love just like you know pulling out these ideas and explaining them and saying that's not correct because of this all these Mm -hmm. things well this assignment was very different and what it was they said you have to argue an opposite point that you believe yourself interesting and it's crazy that it was just one project that had such a significant impact on me right but to completely put myself in somebody else's shoes and to have to argue it to win a debate made all the difference. Mm-hmm. And so the topic was to lower the age of drinking to 18. And I don't think we should do that personally. 
Right. I think, man, if I could buy beer legally when I was in high school, <laughs> it would have be been even problems. more rough than it was. Right. Yeah. And so what I did, but I had to argue for that. And so I was thinking, okay, what argument not only makes sense, but will win. Mm-hmm. And so what I went with was, you know, we can send our kids to war. You can say I do, right? You can place a vote for the most powerful person in the world, mm-hmm. but you can't have a refreshing adult beverage. Right. And I said, these are our options. Either we're changing the drinking age to 18 or we're changing the legal age to 21. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to change the legal no. age to 21. So you right. just gave them specifically one choice. Exactly. But have you had an experience like that where it just completely changed your way of thinking? And maybe it's not from an empathy standpoint, but something that has just either, you know, stayed with you and you you go back to recall that helps you in your business career. Today. Yeah. So one, uh, also a fellow debater here. Was it Lincoln Douglas format that you had that one in? Or, or <laughs> no. Probably. I was a vice president of the debate team in high school. So Dang. I have that. So we, we could have a good debate off camera of course or on uh, camera maybe and hey. maybe that'll be pretty entertaining part two coming soon <laughs> let's do an off-camera one so i find out how good you are <laughs> and then we'll, we'll can, we, that can we bring like the pedestals and everything and do it the right way <laughs> Absolutely. okay for me i don't know if there was like specifically as it pertains to like an empathy thing mm-hmm. um occurrence i'm not sure if there was like one particular event that actually occurred there i've always i've always really had like an authentic care for people and like Mm. their perspective on things and one of the things i was raised knowing my mom would always say even a pancake has two sides and so i would always look at it from that angle it's like hey you're seeing the world through your frame i'm seeing it through mine and then how is it that we can kind of like mesh them and it's okay for you to have a difference of opinion that's the other thing a lot of people don't understand it's like just because a person doesn't understand or doesn't have the same opinion in, of me doesn't yeah. mean it's wrong, okay? And it doesn't mean that you're wrong either. It just means it's different. And actually, one of them, um, talking about reading, I'm a big reader as well, and one of my favorite books every, ever is Pitch Anything by Orrin Claff. Hmm. And what he talks about is this concept of frames. And so every kind of personality you actually interact with is a frame and your whole goal is to get them their frame to turn into the same frame as yours pretty much to right. see the world through your lens and there's he essentially has this methodology of like how to do it based off different personality types it's very fascinating but as soon as you kind of get in the weeds of it it's like there isn't any like real secret sauce here at the end of the day it's really just understanding reading people and know like what makes them tick in the best way possible right, right? So um, that's kind of where I'm coming from the empathy route. One thing that I know, like w- like we've talked about, was I went through this thing called uh, Seal Fit in Encinitas, California, and it was taught by a former Seal commander, and they put you through essentially like their version of Hell Week and Buds. But like the interesting thing, well, one, if people really want to be advantageous and want to go beyond like a tough mutter or all that kind of stuff, I would say you can go into this. It's uh, it'll definitely make you think differently about some of your life choices and all that. But it's interesting because Mark Devine is the guy who created Seal Fit. He actually has uh, several books that talk about like mental strength or just overcoming limitations, so on and so forth. But like when Mm. I went through that program with him, there's a lot of things like they kind of like tested you on and they taught you mentally. And like two of the real mental training things they did that have stuck with me through like my entrepreneurial journey is one is what's called, uh, or what they say is like, it could always be worse. Yes. And 
you know this, like as a founder, like you don't have a good day or a bad day. You have a day because there's ebbs and flows in every single day, <laughs> right? And so it's tough to be predictable on what that feels like. So like when you do have like you in having such like erratic change in emotion mm-hmm. can cause a lot of people to probably go crazy. That's why I think being founders sometimes we're a little bit of masochists. Sure. But like when it comes down to it, if like you're having a bad moment and you like really believe that that moment could be worse, that moment gets a lot better. And you're like, you kind of start point. seeing the opposite side. Now, it could be also perceived as like a negative perception of like, why would you think there could be worse? And mm. so some people have turned it that way. Talk about two sides of the pancake here. But if you really believe like, hey, it could be worse. I'm grateful for this moment and what it is and what I can learn from it, what I can take away from it. It really changes the perception there. Well, I'll add to that experience I had, I've had some moments in my life where I went through some really hard stuff and, you know, restarting my career, all these mm-hmm. other things and <laughs> starting a new job that you don't know <laughs> yeah. what you're doing and you got to convince people that you do until right. you actually do and drinking from the fire hose. And I remember driving down the highway to work one day and just thinking, man, if it's this bad, it can't be much worse than this. Yeah. <laughs> and that, thing, that means I'm about ready for a breakthrough. Right. You know, and that's another way of thinking about it is like the worse it gets, this is really bad. It can't get much worse. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a pattern through my life of you have, oh, it gets really, really hard, but then you get through that, mm-hmm. right? For a variety of ways, whether it's your learning or whether it's just the time and consistency mm-hmm. or something else. But yeah. No, like, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and it helps you appreciate that upside even more so, right? True. And so I think you can learn a lot about yourself and... And it doesn't just apply to founders. I mean, you can apply this, like you're saying, to like your everyday job. Like, mm-hmm. what is that breakthrough? And like one other example where I experienced that firsthand is like when I founded this company and it was 2013, I went to my very first investor pitch I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I pretty much got laughed out of the room. They're like, this is stupid. Oh, this wow. is stupid. But yeah. a lot of people would feel rejected. And I did. I, I took a moment where I felt bad for myself. Like, mm-hmm. But then it's like, what is feeling bad for myself going to do? And yeah. then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. If they think it's stupid, there's probably an opportunity here, honestly. Like, this might actually be something. So you stick it out and then, like, well, look at it. why don't they get it, too? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just, it's it's so new, you yeah. know? Like, you're talking to, like, at the time, it was, like, a significantly older generation that might not even have a smartphone at the time. You know, like, we're talking about flip phones. So Good how point. is it that I communicate holding up this device that's like a portal into another different world? You know, like, <laughs> that sounds like something out of Star Trek form. But right. Anyways, like, that's one of those things where you kind of overcome. The other lesson that was taught to me that I think was applicable but also could have its downfalls is, like, one thing, it was called the 20X factor. And it's, like, no matter what you think you're capable of, you're capable mm-hmm. of 20 times more than that. Yeah. And when you do that, like, it's like, wow. Like, we were talking about it at breakfast one day. It's like, maybe two times, three times. Seems reasonable. Push right. yourself. But 20 times, like. That's, that's way more. Yeah. Like I was doing push-ups the other day after, you know, you shared this with me. <laughs> And I could not do 20 times more. <laughs> I crank out 20 and then you're like, I was like 20 times my, more. Yeah, where's There's my, no way. I'm done. My inner David Goggins. Yeah. But, oh, man. Talk about a machine. <laughs> that dude. That guy is crazy. But I actually, I've been thinking about that. It was about two weeks ago uh, before the recording of this episode uh-huh. where we had, you know, breakfast. And that 20 time thing has gone through my head many, many times mm-hmm. when I was pushing up against something. I was like you're capable of more than this. You're capable mm-hmm. of more than this. And it's like, 
that it, talk a little bit about like what is it that that initial pain mm-hmm. like what is that doing like what is the the reason for that and then pushing past that just I think it's just uh, like expanding your mind is what it ultimately comes down to and like what what the capacity of what you think you can handle is yeah and then it's uh, so one thing you always hear me talk about is like patterns okay whether mm-hmm. it's in user experience design or technology our daily lives no matter what there's always patterns mm. like when we're having that breakfast I told you I challenged you I said on your way home today yeah find, disrupt your pattern by identifying something new on the same drive you're always familiar with and, I did I actually went in a different direction I don't know if that was that works the yeah it's disrupting the pattern <laughs> of what you're familiar with and yeah. so by doing so like uh, hits different parts of your brain that release dopamine so on and so forth but like that aside it just challenges yourself it's kind of like that internal competition you have with yourself and like oftentimes you surprise yourself too like yeah when you broke through you fought through like a little bit of a pain point or whatever it is you decided not to throw in the towel and go take a break you're like you know what let's push through mm-hmm. and figure this out you felt a sense of accomplishment like wow i so can good. do more than this and then guess what you're gonna hit another wall Right. And you're going to fight through that. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. how is it I'm accomplishing this much? What was I doing in the past? Like, right. And, and like I, I felt that way kind of about high school. Like mm-hmm. I, I was probably considered an average student in high school. Yeah. And I, I played football. I did sports, all that kind of stuff. But it was like, man, if I had this like mentality and I knew that all I could get out of it if I put into it and really applied myself to other areas, too, it's like, where could I be today? But I'm also a big believer in everything happening for a reason. And like, I love where my life is today. So it's like, you can't have that regret, but all you can do is apply it going forward and say, hey, like, let's really push ourselves. And this might not to go down like a spiritual or religious route, but I don't know if there's a past life or a future life. All I know is I have this life and it's like, I got to make the best of it. And so it's like, what is it that I'm going to leave behind? How am I going to be remembered? And like the time that's given to me, how am I going to capitalize on it? So breaking through that kind of helps me with that mindset as well. Yeah, on that note, one thing, I can't remember if I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say this or if he said something that made me think of it, but it's like a lot of people are operating like they've got another chance at this, Mm -hmm. you know? And think about the things that we are either scared of or intimidated of, right? it's like whether to start my own business or whether to go talk to this person or whether to this do this thing or the other, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of times I think, wow, the way that I'm operating in my fear and not doing that thing, it's like, I'm gonna get another chance at doing this? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No. <laughs> and so if you were to have your mindset say, wait a minute, this is my one and only chance. Mm-hmm. I've got 75, 80 years, maybe, hopefully, right? right? Maybe a little more. If I've got this amount of time, I've got one chance. Why would I ever hold back mm-hmm. and not just go for it? Right. Sounds like the start of an Eminem song. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I got some spaghetti on my shirt. Yeah. I think that's no, relevant. No, but I mean, in all seriousness, it is there. Now, not saying like I'm, I'm not perfect and I don't have like my hesitations, of course. Like, yes. Can, but like, that's what you have to recognize, right? Like you, you yeah. like... I was talking to a good friend of mine as well and about how to overcome like even like an imposter syndrome type feeling. And it's Mm -hmm. like, give that fear a face, like identify it. Don't let it just kind of sit in the back of your head, identify Mm -hmm. what it is and then process like how to handle it. And I think doing that puts you in such like a, 
a powerful position with yourself. If yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So like speaking of David Goggins, like one of the craziest stories I've heard about him that I absolutely loved. It was on another podcast, but he said like his turning point was like when he was really overweight, he was at home. Yeah. He knew he wanted to like, like try out for seals after watching it on, it was like one of those specials. Yeah, it was some channel. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and yeah. he, and he goes, he was like, and I thought to myself, everything I'm afraid of, he's like, I'm going to run towards now. Like, literally think about that like i'm deathly afraid of spiders i still Same. call for my wife <laughs> to come and kill the spider i'm allergic to it and i was like i'm like no kill the spider but like every once in a while i'll kill one and i'll be like i did it yeah i conquered it right i conquered took care of that spider yeah. but like he's running towards everything so like yes. or he like takes takes like the like embrace the suck mentality to a whole new level where he was like it was like snowing out, like zero degrees. He's like, I can't run a mile to save my life. He's like, I roll over at three in the morning. I see that it looks miserable out. And he's like, I told myself I have to get out and run. Mm-hmm. And it's like, honestly, like right now, if you were to tell me to do that, I'd be like, no way. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. roll back over. But like he ran towards that. And it's like, talk about like he's mental strength on a whole nother level. Yes. Whole nother <laughs> level. But like. If you look at like how many times he broke through his 20x factor, how many times he broke through his walls, he's still achieving more things that like we don't even know how, right? right? And so it just shows you like your mind has so much more capability and control and power than what you can anticipate really. So it's like don't put those limitations on yourself. Like right. you're you're fully capable of breaking through that and even doing more. And so like, like you're saying, like seize that moment, take advantage of that moment and really go all in instead of worrying later. Did I, I should have done this. I should have done that. And it's like, can't live in the past. You know, we got to see how we're going to move forward. Well, and I think to build on that, it's not about not being scared. Mm -mm. It's about being scared and pushing through it. Right. Because if you're focused on, okay, I'm not going to be scared or I'm doing the things that I'm not scared of, Mm -hmm. you're still limited by fear. Yeah. It's just fear is, that limit is further out. Mm -hmm. But when you can recognize that fear and push past it and through it, Mm -hmm. then your limitations are far fewer, right? Yep. 100%. One thing I want to get into a little bit before we end here is the metaverse. Sure. We had breakfast the other day, as we've mentioned 20 times in yep. this podcast. Great breakfast. Talk about the 20 time factor. <laughs> <laughs> I had avocado toast. You had like pecan pancake. Pecan pancake. Yeah. Great choice. Great Always choice. Is. <laughs> so, so we're talking about Ariel and what you guys are doing. We were talking about like the patents that mm-hmm. you've had. And then we were talking about your view of the metaverse and mm-hmm. what you see happening and how those applications are are there. And this is so extremely relevant for the audience mm-hmm. because we've seen a couple big announcements happen. Mm-hmm. Facebook changed their name. To Meta. To Meta. <laughs> and then Nike changed their name to Verse. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no. But Nike filed a bunch of patents the other day mm-hmm. to, for all their slogans and their trademarks and their logos sure. and the ability to sell virtual goods. Mm-hmm. So this is something that we absolutely see happening. I'm super excited to see it happen. And I think, too, I actually wrote an article about this just the other day in the newsletter, is there's these new trends popping up all the time, mm-hmm. especially a lot of technology, right? And a lot of times the question is, should I spend the time to learn about this? Mm-hmm. Should I outsource this to or you know make a connection or, or dig in, you know, bring someone in to talk mm-hmm. about it, like a lot of people do with me in esports? Or is this just a shiny object that's going to be a quickly changing trend and, you know, I don't need to waste my time. Right. And I am convinced 
more than anything right now that if there is one uh, subject matter to spend your time learning and really understanding, it's the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? 100%. Tell me about it. I So, man, there's a lot to like what this is to even have in this conversation alone. But like what it really comes down to is that the metaverse, simply put, is like the internet of the real world. Yes. Okay. And so it is going to, it has the capability and power to change the way that we interact with the world around us. And right. so that was like one of our early visions at Ariel and why we literally created the technology we had today, filed and got granted the patents that we did because we believe that, talking about patterns again, like having a technology that can disrupt the pattern of an environment you're constantly familiar with mm-hmm. constantly adds value back to that user. Now, yeah, that has a caveat. So, um, like anything with like great power, you have it could be used for good or it could be used for bad, right? Right. And I think it's now the most important ever to make sure that we have the correct intentionality behind what the metaverse will actually be, and what do you how think people that is? use it. I don't think it needs to be a distraction from what our real world is. Okay? okay. I don't like the concept personally of being in a completely different world. Mm. I like the idea of accentuating our existing world because one of the greatest things about the world that we have today is these authentic connections. Right. Okay. Sharing an experience with you, even like the one we're having today, is a rewarding experience. I but that. always sharing it from like in an, in a different realm or with an avatar, it doesn't have that same emotional connection. It doesn't form yeah. that same memory that it does if we're in person, for instance. I think Zoom calls are a perfect, perfect example of mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've all been on Zoom calls for the last year and a half, mm-hmm. but like being able to see somebody's face on a computer screen is not in any way the same as that in-person connection when no. you have that opportunity. You're no, I right. mean like yeah. to that point, exactly. Another great example is like, I would say 90% of our demos that we do of our technology from a sales process are actually done on Zoom. And people are like, oh, wow, that's great. I want to take next steps. And then if you get their hands on it, that's like, oh, my God. But Mm -hmm. it's the same thing, right? Right. It's like the same experience, but the way that they are experiencing it in in and of itself is the experience that is memorable, okay? Mm. So, like, I don't want people to take away from the world. If anything, augmented reality should help support returning the world back to a more natural state without all the bright, shiny, flashy things. And Mm -hmm. then within the AR realm is where you have your different level of digital interactivity that could be sort of supported based off of location. And like that experience itself could be affected by a ton of different variables, including the people that are in proximity to the experience, high traffic area, population density, cost, like so many things could affect this experience, especially with like the power of AI machine learning applied to it. There's wild experiences that could be created and form very, become very memorable with yeah. that being said. Now, one of my favorite topics I love to talk about, and this is directly related to the metaverse, is this concept of ontological design. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay, it's a big fancy word for what design, what we design designs us back. Okay. Okay. So this isn't a new concept. Like if you go back to like literally at the time of cavemen, we used to have these big jaws and it's because we didn't have fire to cook meat. So we'd have to chew nonstop. We had these big jaws. Okay. Created fire, learned how to cook meat. Our jaws went down. Mm. We figured out fire, our jaws went down. So then you take that and apply it to literally everything. When it comes down to even the devices we hold in our hand, we created this technology. Is that why I don't know where I'm going when I'm trying to drive? Probably. 
can't <laughs> if yeah. I don't have Google Maps. I'm like lost in even, my own city. It's even if I terrible. know where I'm yeah. going, I still put it in ways for like faster traffic mapping. Right. And it's like that's been a new habit that's been instilled in me through a technology that we as people have designed has now designed the behavior of how I navigate a city. So there's, I mean, there's obviously pros and cons here, right? Yeah. Because it's like, the, if you think about if everybody's, I think about this sometimes, if everybody's phone just stopped working, mm-hmm. what could you do mm-hmm. in your daily life? It's pretty crazy. It's like, yeah. it's kind of like the whole thing saying like your mind is most active if you're standing on a white wall because mm-hmm. you're trying to think of all these other things, right? right? That's when the activity goes up. So like, what is it if, if, and this is how it goes back to kind of reverse engineering. If we know the positive behaviors we want to create in people, right? what could we design from an experiential and engagement standpoint that designs mm-hmm. those positive habits in people? If, and like, this is almost a model that goes back to one of the things we were saying in the beginning when it comes to empathy. Yeah. It's like, you have to put yourself in that person's shoes. So like, right. Who are the people that will be the initial users of the metaverse that will help them cross the chasm of success and not have it just be another big shiny thing? How is this going to be the future of e-commerce? How is this going to be the future of exploration, right? Like it opens up like literally a blue ocean in its own way because there's a ton of opportunity. It literally turns your world into your canvas, whether it's for educational purposes voting on or uh, on zoning for a new real estate development or, or art like anything i love that example we were talking about that is because we were talking about how okay you're building new stuff here in texas where we live the roads are always under construction it's like why don't That's you just build them the twice as wide to start because yeah. <laughs> by the time you finish the road you just started working right back on it right. adding more lanes I, i'm sure there's a reason for that maybe there's a reason for that but yeah, you know, our, our local elections, right? We're voting for these zoning things. They're mm-hmm. like, hey, should this school be here or should this bank be here or this stadium, right? Like mm-hmm. another $52 million high school football stadium mm-hmm. <laughs> here in Texas. It's the truth. They're not uncommon. No. And to be what you're saying is like to be able to experience that before it's built very much in the same way that Ariel enables people mm-hmm. to experience the results of their decisions before they pay for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's powerful because it also improves like the overall sentiment of like what a neighborhood could be, for instance. Like, so say it was the new SoFi Stadium that was built in Inglewood, California, right? Right. That has a direct impact on that community. And it's like talking about like even from a culture perspective, that might not be a community that wanted that stadium there, for Mm. instance. Yeah. And so it's like allowing them to visualize it instead of just looking at a flat picture or rendering of how it's going to transform the area, but allowing them to experience, like learn a little bit more about the transformation of the area, how it's going to offer new jobs, how it's going to affect traffic, literally getting people to experience it before it's completed mm-hmm. will give them more confidence and make them feel more comfortable with what it's going to be. Cause I'm sure They've like already some people experienced it. Yeah. It's interesting. There. And I'm sure there's some people that have now that SoFi stadium is there they were against it. Now they might be like, oh, well, you know, that's not too bad. It's helped our business. It's helped this, that. Sure. So, like, the, I'm sure there's value that's been communicated now that it's complete. But, like, that could have been solved way beforehand. So then you take that and put it over something like the metaverse, okay? Mm-hmm. Car dealerships. Putting in your own driveway so people start forming an emotional connection with the car they customize. So, like, oh, I see. It fits in my garage. Perfect. You have things like that from a commerce perspective. How you're saying Nike is going to have pop-up shops. Imagine 
going to like um, say there was like an inner city abandoned basketball court that needed like a community effort to clean it up by sure. putting like an NFT shoe pop up shop there that could drive traffic and attention to this area could help drive revitalizing what is part of our physical world. Right. So there's there's an impact of like not only an ontological sense of like us designing the metaverse, ultimately designing the behaviors of the people, but also us designing the metaverse, designing what our actual world looks like. Yeah. And it's there's large scale implication. Now, do I think that this is gonna happen overnight? Absolutely not. I think we would all be next question. We would all yeah, we'd all be pretty naive to, but it's times now that we got to start thinking about this stuff. It's like any good strategy that you have, you start planning for it, and then execution is everything. If somebody rushes in and says, hey, I'm the first one on the metaverse, which you know somebody's going to promote that, Yeah, it doesn't always mean that it's the right thing to do on the metaverse. So good point. how do we start, like I said, going back to the beginning, like how do we start defining the intention of what needs to be on here, defining almost like what that user experience should be. What are good practices? What are bad practices? And fortunately, outside of Arial, there are other augmented reality, like even like Apple has ARKit, Google has AR Core. People are using augmented reality in other ways, but Mm -hmm. we can learn from the data of those experiences of Mm. what to do and what not to do. It's almost like a um, um, a research or a focus group that's been done in the augmented reality industry as a whole, and we can apply that data to what the metaverse is so that we're putting our best foot forward on day one. Well, and one of the things you're talking about, the intentions, is who is deciding these intentions. Because mm-hmm. different groups might have different intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, do we know who's going to decide these things? Is this a government? Is this the brand? Is this companies? How, or, or is that just too I far think, out? To I, think, really I think it's a pretty big gray area. So it's um, it's interesting. So you got to think about like um, there, there could be different layers in a sense. Okay. Mm-hmm. So almost like uh, different internets, like how we have like a... Um, an interweb and then an internet sure. or whatever. Like the same kind yeah. of concept is there. So like Facebook could have their own. Google could have their own. Oh, interesting. You know? And so it's like there could be multiple layers. iPhone, Android. Yeah. Could, so it's not like there's a definitive universal browser that will be the one for all metaverse entirely. Yeah. It's almost like within our same world, there's multiple dimensions that you can view and actually interact with. Now, yeah, that might get messy. But you can sure. also think about it too from like a filtering standpoint. It's like, hey, what's appropriate for a kid to actually see yeah. for, from like an educational perspective versus right. what um, an adult Dinosaurs will see. walking around and stuff versus, yeah. oh, I've got all these ads. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. Uh, I'm promoting like um, this engaging experience about the new John Wick movie. Like, well, we don't want a kid to necessarily be interacting with that. We want them to have maybe like the educational metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, and like there's so much power there, especially like one of my favorite things to talk about from this side is education. Like my wife's a third grade teacher. Right. And when like you, I'm not a big fan of like putting devices in front of kids. Like a lot of people probably are because there's there's like a form of habit that's actually generated there. Yep, same. But we also have to realize like there's also a form of like not avoiding it at this point just because of like the mass user adoption and so like if kids are going to be using this in school then let's use it for the best it's kind of like the research uh, from a psychology standpoint that was done 
um, related to like BF Skinner with the pigeons pressing the lever for variable rewards. That same psychology is applied to slot machines to form ga- like gambling addictions. And that same oh, wow. psychology is applied to a lot of the social networks that we have now. Like literally I've been guilty of opening Facebook, refreshing and not doing anything, closing it and hitting it again without even thinking about it because you oh, think I the know. more I hit the external trigger, it's going to satisfy that internal trigger. Yep. So if we're going to be doing this for like kids, how is it that they can have experiential learning and increase knowledge retention through the engaging experience that they're having? Right. And so if there's like this educational metaverse, imagine like going out and like you're saying like dinosaurs, dinosaurs that are relevant to the geographical area that they're actually in and being able mm-hmm. to see how this was like that. that that's right. That is the brontosaurus. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. this is like the foundation of creating memories. And you got to think like us as people, Creating mm. memories is like one of the most powerful things we have, having that moment. True. So if we can have a technology that actually helps empower memory creation in a positive format, we're mm. really on to something here. Yeah, I love that aspect of that, that educational, that real beneficial piece of it because uh, I think a lot of people when they think about the metaverse or augmented reality, they think about this Ready Player One world mm-hmm. where you're just not participating in reality mm-hmm. and it can be a drug, it can be an escape that actually ruins your real life Mm -hmm. because you're escaping into this different dimension. Mm -hmm. But recognizing, like you said, some of this technology is unavoidable. How do you evolve in a positive way and say, yeah, we want our kids reading books. How could they learn more effectively with this technology? I think it's interesting. One of the things that I like, it's a term that like I want to, I want to stick with everybody, but mm-hmm. and it's not getting a lot of legs yet. But hopefully it does, especially with this podcast. Hey, yeah, it's gonna pop off. After, <laughs> <for sure. laughs> but when you t- look at it from like a Ready Player One concept, it's you have this persona right. that is in there. Now, if you look at like what the definition of a persona is, it's a facade, it's a mask, it's not a true representation of oneself. Right. So literally, in all of UX design, it says, "Hey, like, what persona are we targeting?" And I I don't like that because it's Mm. not an accurate term. And what I prefer is a portrait, a user portrait, Portrait. because it's more of a true representation of oneself. And so if we shift that mentality of focusing on a facade and focus on a portrait, a representation of one's true self, it helps us narrow down our intention, once again, intention on who that user is, why they're using it, and why it's important to them literally as a person. Mm. That's what's... That's the variable. That's the disconnect across a lot of these social networks is thinking about, hey, how can we get them more involved? How can we do have them post more? And it's like that isn't always the solution for what we need as people. Right. And I know that's a loaded statement, but think when it comes to the metaverse, thinking about the intention of what a person needs and how it could benefit them in a lot of different ways. I'm not saying like entertainment is out of it and that it only has to be a utility. Absolutely not. But think about what will help that person form either new memories, new knowledge, new experiences. Think about that and then start going back and figuring out the use cases. And I think we'll be in a much better place if we start there. Right. I think a a term I use a lot is when you give people what they want but can't attain for themselves, Mm -hmm. your brand is embraced. Mm -hmm. And so working back from not just what people want from an entertainment perspective, Mm -hmm. sometimes, of course. Sure. But understanding what do we as humans actually need and working back and making sure your brand gets credit for providing those things. And then that loyalty and that engagement is breeded. Absolutely. 
I 100% agree. I love that statement, and I'm probably going to start using it. I'll quote you on it, but I'm going to start on the back of my business card. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Great. Um, Well, hey, uh, this this hour went fast. Yeah, sure did. You know, it always does with our conversations. Uh, Where can people follow you? What should people know Mm -hmm. um, to follow up in the ways that you want? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to Ariel.com, check us out. We have a... intercom messenger down in the lower right at any time if you send a message there it'll come to me and the other members of the aerial team and we'll happy to answer questions or have you even sign up and schedule a demo uh we love showing our technology and literally hearing back from people's feedback on like how they would like to see it used because ultimately like that's where we're heading is like right. we have a tool that will be coming out that allows everybody to create their own experiences on it so that they can interact with them in the real world so um go to our website. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can email me, um, khart at aerial.io. Our website is aerial.com. We used to be .io. Haven't switched the emails over yet. So there's that. And then, uh, of course, on like LinkedIn and so on. So love to talk to everybody and answer any questions anybody has. Yeah, I would definitely encourage everybody to reach out to Kevin. I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. Um, I learn something every time we talk. So thank you for (laughs) joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 